Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 26, and we're reviewing part two, Battle Tendency, The Ascendant One. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime, so you've been warned. This is an extra special episode of Strictly Jojo for actually quite a number of reasons. Um, I would say first and foremost, this is the final episode, the final review episode of part two of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Sheesh. And really, and I know we go by parts here, um, but technically also just rounding out season one of JoJo. Even more special, though, is that the day this episode goes live, November 8th, is actually the one-year anniversary of Strictly JoJo. Woohoo! Round of applause. How appropriate. We're rounding out part two, season one of JoJo, on the actual one-year anniversary of Strictly JoJo. It took us, because the show is bi-weekly, it took us one full year to go through one season of JoJo. Which makes sense, because 26 episodes, and since it's bi-weekly, that's... 52 weeks right so it lines up very nicely it all worked out it was all in the universe like the, the universe aligned or whatever the fucking saying it was is fate <laughs> as you know <laughs> running theme in jojo it's all fate and destiny yeah it was the jode star fate for all of this to line up perfectly but let's take a second one full year as of the release of this episode of strictly jojo like that's that's kind of crazy i think mm -hmm. i mean we started strictly anime first um we kicked i think that started in like march of last year yeah um and then in november of last year we thought hey let's start our secondary podcast which is really we approached jojo as or strictly jojo as more of a passion project um we know it's going to have a more niche audience even though you know the jojo fandom is pretty huge and we love our fellow jojo fans but this is more just us expressing our love for what is my favorite anime of all time and one of your i guess not top three favorite favorites but you know no, no, this is, it's still my one of my favorite anime like <laughs> as you know as stupid as it can be like this is just a it's a fun anime to watch and i really i think part of the drive of us wanting to start strictly jojo and us continuing through this this whole first year is just the community in jojo i know that us jojo fans get a lot of shit sometimes people even call us one of the worst fandoms in anime but there's a sense of camaraderie there's a sense of community among jojo fans especially when it comes to the memes um that i think is very unique and and really unlike any other anime i mean a lot of people get into JoJo because they see the memes. How many other anime can you really say were we kind of drew in its audience through purely fucking memes? Yeah, not many. <laughs> it's just, to me, it's one of the greatest shows in the world. Um, I, I'm not going to say it's one of the best anime ever created. It's certainly up there. It's it's a powerhouse for a reason. But there's just uh, like just pure love that I have for the series for the strange characters, the interesting writing, the fucking crazy outfits that these characters are wearing, just the the ex eccentricity, is that how you say yeah. it? Yeah. Um, of the show is, is I don't know, very appealing. It just kind of sucks you in and never lets go. Yeah, I don't even know if you can fit JoJo into any specific category or genre of anime because, yeah, it, it's, it could be shonen, it could be seinen, it could be 
action. It could be fantasy at, at certain points. But yeah, I think that's just part of what makes it so fantastic is it, it doesn't really fit itself into any sort of box. It like blends a lot of things together, but then also stands on its own. I think the closest- Stands proud. It stands <laughs> proud. There you go. Part three reference. Um, I think the closest anime you could really compare this to is Fist of the North Star, but that's specifically kind of thinking about part three um, mm-hmm. and the way that those, those I guess part one, too, to a certain degree, how like closely aligned those are. But I, I can't, I don't often hear people compare JoJo to really any other anime just because it- like I said, it stands on its own. It's kind of on an island because of how unique and blended it really is. Or how would you even find a comparison for a normie <laughs> in order to understand? Like, like if there's any live action or you know regular TV show that they can compare JoJo to? Yeah, you you can't. It's just like <laughs> there, I I can't even describe it. I've tried describing it to people who don't know anything about JoJo. And I just feel like they think I'm crazy, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is fine because, again, like a no shame. I love JoJo to death. Um, and I and we love you guys to death for sticking around with us for this last year, um, this amazing journey of Strictly JoJo. We hope that you guys love our discussions, our reviews. Um, hopefully you can feel the love and passion that we have for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And we can't wait to see what the next year has in store for Strictly JoJo. Continuing on with some exciting news, um, more of a shout out, I guess. We want to give a big, big shout out to Emily D, who is our newest patron. Woohoo! Another round of applause. I wonder what this sounds like on the microphone, like a wet clap almost. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so, so much, Emily, for supporting the Strictly series of podcasts, supporting our love of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, supporting our love of anime, and allowing us to continue making these podcast episodes and sharing that love with the anime and JoJo communities. And if you'd like to support the show and get access to things like our bonus episodes, um, the pre-show, our show schedules, even submit questions for us to answer on our podcast and in our patron-only Q&A, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. Yes, once again, huge shout out to Emily. Thank you again for helping us, like cars, ascend to great heights. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I feel like that. I need to do that with every patron, just come up with these puns for... <laughs> you know, acknowledging how much we appreciate their support. That would be a great segue into today's discussion. However, we still have a couple of other pieces of news, JoJo-type news, um, just small things that have been happening recently in the, the JoJo world. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen or heard about this, but Netflix has recently gained rights to JoJo Part 5 Golden Wind. So it is now streaming on their platform, probably in preparation for Part 6 because it'd be weird to go on their platform from part four to part six. Um, But there's a lot of buzz, especially on Twitter and Reddit around Netflix's subtitles. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, Netflix has a history of doing some really strange things with subtitles. Um, I know there was a big to do with one of the the lines in Evangelion. For anyone who's familiar, it's a pretty significant line between two characters and they kind of changed the meaning by changing a single word in one of the lines. I won't say much about it because I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but here we, here again, we have a situation where Netflix is doing some kind of weird things with the subtitles. Um, for example, there's a scene in the beginning of part five where Jorno is 
Um, he's got a lot of chicks around him. And in the original subs for part five, he says, go away, don't bother me. But then the translation in Netflix says, there's only one girl I like, move along. And it, like, I think that they were trying to, to be more faithful, but they really weren't faithful because it just, it's such an odd change. Like, why, why change that? Why make it about a girl? Because no, at no point does Jorno ever mention that he has a love interest. Yeah, I don't recall that at all. There's also another thing where um, they replace Gold Experience Requiem with Chariot Requiem. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? That's completely <laughs> wrong. It's just like, what <laughs> the hell is that? And I guess somebody on Reddit posted um, as well. That there's other changes that have been popping up after part five has been streaming, probably in preparation for part six. Um, they mention, and this is, I, I want to give some credit here. It's um under i don't even know what uh what subreddit this is but some user hte underscore dong jenning two okay i mean that's my best attempt at giving credit basically calls out that in part three um they use original character names like oingo boingo um in the descriptions and titles but then use the localized names like zenyata and mondata in the actual episode subtitles that's weird because isn't there like a, a copyright thing with the, with the descriptions then using the original titles? Yeah. Wait, so they're using the actual? In the According to this person, in the titles and descriptions of the episodes of part three on Netflix, they've got the original names, which are copyright hmm. infringing in the U.S., like Oingo Boingo. And then they use the localized names that we all hate. Well, not we all hate. I'm sure there people, there's people out there who like them. The majority of the fandom um, is not not fans of them, but it's like Zenyatta Mondata in the actual episode subtitle. So that's a strange choice. Well, I figure Netflix can pay for that copyright infringement. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but then, like, then just make it consistent across. Like, why don't why not use the original character names in the actual episode subtitles then? And then some something weird in, in part four as well with like the the stand names and everything. And then in part five, you got these really strange choices with translations. And I don't know, man. Netflix they 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 do some weird shit, and they're known for doing some fucked up stuff with subtitles, um, adding political political pieces to the way things are translated, um, kind of like removing heavy meaning behind stuff by trying to make it more like us friendly but it really dampens what's happening in the scene even squid game i heard there were some translation issues where um a lot of korean speakers or or the writers maybe something along those lines um said that the netflix translations of squid game kind of took away some of the meaning from some scenes so i don't know netflix really needs to kind of work on that uh, but it's kind of a shame to hear that that's going on with part five and it makes me a little concerned about translations for part six yeah, I was going to say, like, Netflix is already in the hot seat right now for, since they have exclusive rights to Part 6, um, you would think that they would have some sort of goodwill to, to combat all this, but then they come out with these Part 5 subtitles that don't sit well with, with everybody. It's like, what are you doing, man? And I know, like, th there's this anime day, which I believe is November 9th of this week. Whoa, that's my next thing I was going to mention. Yes. Oh, On the yes. theme of Netflix, yeah, there's that anime day thing. But yes. Um, <laughs> just before you, you get into that, um, my two cents are like, I hope they do have something that will kind of appease to some sort of goodwill, like with 
um, JoJo Part Six Stone Ocean because I don't think they've announced yet like their release schedule for that. Correct. As of today's recording, we still do not know, and we know it's December and it's already November. Mm-hmm. Um, one month out, and we still don't have the official release date for Part Six. So they better fix the already like bad reputation that they're they're garnering um, with the anime community some well first off by like making these episodes release weekly at least um and secondly you know just getting better better ways to translate the the dub into proper subtitles yeah and i don't know i've said this before over on strictly anime maybe here on strictly jojo but i get that netflix wants to get in on the anime game i just don't feel like they have a true connection or understanding of the anime community um and what makes anime so special because they try to do their own things and it just is never well received and again i'm I'm very nervous about part six i i will certainly once Netflix has has premiered it and there's another set of subtitles somewhere with someone else, like if Crunchyroll, I don't know, gets the rights and they do their own subtitles, I'll probably rewatch it. I mean, regardless, either way, I'm going to rewatch it. It's it's part six JoJo. Which is why I'm surprised like Crunchyroll didn't fight for exclusivity because they may have like obviously Crunchyroll being an anime only streaming service. There's a lot more trust with their name when it comes to anime um, unless, you know, Netflix outbid them or something. Yeah, that may have been the case, um, but we'll see. We will do what we can with the Netflix uh, subtitles since that's, since that's all we're going to have access to for quite some time. And then, uh, I don't know, we'll see what, what uh, other kind of subtitles come out from other services. But moving on to, uh, on, on the topic of Netflix, moving on to Anime Day. Um, for anyone who hasn't heard, Netflix announced Anime Day, which is November 9th. Um, where they're going to, I'm looking at the schedule here, they're going to have a greeting from Netflix. Oops, I clicked on the wrong thing. Um, Followed by an introduction by anime moderator. I don't know who or what that is. Um, The first thing on the list here is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean special stage Road to Stone Ocean music performance um, featuring, of course, Yugo Kanno. I think um, afterwards is a special talk session with... Farus I, Matsumi Tamura, and Maria Ise, which are the three uh, main characters, uh, Seiyus for Stone Ocean, of course. Mm-hmm. Jolene, um, Foo Fighters, and Hermes. Those are the original titles. I'm curious to know how they're going to localize those titles. But I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying that we get the Part 6 release date during this anime day on November 9th. Um, we'll report back as soon as we can once we know whether or not we get a release date. Um, of course, follow us on Twitter at Strictly Series and on Instagram at the Strictly Series if you want to see anything, any updates from us about updates on the release date. But fingers crossed we get something because, dude, it's already a month out from December. I mean, they're putting so much um, attention to JoJo um, in this lineup. Uh, because it's within, I think it was a two-hour, two to three-hour event. Yeah. Um. So if they're dedicating that much time in the beginning, I'm sure they'll have a release date. And again, I pray it's a weekly release. Um. Because that will again just fix the bad blood, a little bit of the bad blood that we have with Netflix so far. I know we mentioned in the past that there were um there were rumors about monthly releases for part six. No updates on that either. Um. Some people said that the monthly 
release schedule got pulled from Netflix's Stone Ocean like preview. I'm not sure really. I, I hate to report out on stuff that is like rumors, but just trying to also stay in the know about what may be happening with part six. So take that with a grain of salt. Hopefully we get clarity on that as well during this event. Well, because uh, was it Komi-san is weekly on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's a, it's not a simulcast because it comes out like one or two weeks after the actual um, premiere date in Japan, which is odd. Um, but, uh, but yeah, those are weekly episodes. Yeah, so it's following the same format. Although going going back to the topic of subtitles, I know people are having trouble with that. Yeah, because well. long story short, Komi-san has a lot of on-screen text, and apparently Netflix hasn't bothered to translate the majority, if not all of it. And that on-screen text actually is pretty crucial to the story. Um, but going, yeah, going back to this Netflix anime day, we'll see. Um, fingers crossed we get something. Um, and once we know the release date for part six, as a nice segue into our last little piece here before we actually dive into this uh, this final episode of part two, just wanted to remind everyone one more time that our schedule uh, after we round out part two battle tendency with this episode um, is going to be some discussions and things throughout November um, and pretty much just kind of uh, filling in our schedule with these unique type of episodes up until we get the release of part six, at which point we will be doing special weekly review episodes of every single episode of part six Stone Ocean. Sorry, that was a really oddly structured sentence, but I think you get the point. Um, we are planning to have a guest on still uh, here on Strictly JoJo. There may be some scheduling pieces, so it may be pushed back a bit. But either way, we're, we've got some fun topics lined up, um, some good discussions that we'll be releasing over the next month or so as we wait patiently for Stone Ocean to arrive. All right, let's get into the meat of it. The final episode of Part 2 Battle Tendency with our beloved Joseph Joestar. What were your overall thoughts on this final episode? Mission accomplished. And I haven't said this in a while. Expectations subverted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like a an everlasting climax uh, of this battle between Cars and Jojo. Um, and I think I talked about it last episode even though like knowing what happens, like really figuring out how Joseph is going to stop cars. And I know this is going to be a controversial discussion about how exactly Joseph defeated cars. But all that aside, I just, you know, love the the epilogue like feeling of, of this episode. Of of course it, it concludes, you know, his his battle with cars. Um, but being kept in the dark a little bit about Joseph's fate afterwards until we find out eventually that he, he, spoiler alert, survived, and then finding out about all the friends and family that we've met along the way and seeing where they end up, um, and that it kind of segues into part three. Um, it just all felt appropriate, and, you know, the first time I watched this, um, I also, like, I felt like I was ending the show on a high um, just because I was just so pleased with how this episode rounded out part two and just part two as a whole. But what about you? Man, this is it. The final episode of part two. I love Joseph Joestar. He is my favorite Jojo. And it's kind of bittersweet because 
Um, you know, we're, we're rounding out his story at this stage in his life, but at the same time, we're moving into, well, when we get to part three, we'll move into his next stage of life where he only gets better with age. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll certainly miss watching Joe Joseph, you know, as a, he's like 19, right. As a 19 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really fun to watch him as he matures and becomes a father and a grandfather, um, and him still be the amazing, funny character that he is, you know, through his journey with Jotaro in part three. Although it would have been nice to see like that, that 40 year gap between part two and part three, what he was up to as well. Well, you know, one of the things <laughs> I he mean, was up to yeah. out in Japan, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but, I agree. Yeah. I would love to see a little bit more of his relationship with um, Suzy Q. I'd love mm -hmm. to see him raise Holly. Like, for this guy, Joseph Joestar, to be a fucking father. <laughs> yeah. And I, he adores his daughter. Like, he he loves Holly to death. But as a new father, I would love to to watch a little bit of that. Um, but no, I, I think it's, it's bittersweet in that aspect. Um, but I think overall, this is just such a fun episode, mostly because of what happens in the second half. I love the conclusion with Cars, but we do kind of get pulled out of it a little bit. When we get Cars's the 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 rest of Cars's backstory, um, you know, this first half of the episode, it kind of it kind of draws me away, kind of breaks my not my immersion, but just my investment, because it's kind of a weird place in my mind to mm -hmm. put the final pieces of his backstory that should have been in the previous episode, in my opinion. Yeah, especially because that's where like he activates the stone mask. Yeah. Right. Or even two episodes ago. But either way, it's here in this final episode. But I actually look forward, whenever I watch this, to the latter half because there's just so much fun shit that happens. And the way they wrap up the story, um, just giving it to you straight about what happened with each character, I really enjoy that. And, of course, the preview for uh, you know part three <laughs> is, is a lot of fun to watch. So I adore this episode. I think it's a fantastic way to end it. I think they, de they dedicate just the right amount of time to wrap up the Joseph versus Cars ongoing fight, and then give plenty of time to for us to feel satisfied with the conclusion of the story. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into our synopsis and discussion for part two, episode 17, The Ascendant One. As Joseph Wu and Metal Gear Stroheim await a hearty helping of Cars Stroganoff, we get a History Channel briefing of how Super Hot Fire Cars created the stone mask to become immortal and slaughtered his own tribe because they wouldn't move bitch get out the way. The pesky powerful Pillarman survives his fondue bath with science and foam however, and cuts off Josephus' hand faster than you can say Luke Skywalker. As Cars gears up to strike the jockey Joestar once and for all, Josephus subconsciously defends himself with the super hot fire Asia, the energy from which causes the volcano to erupt like it was the end of No Nut November. The pair are sent careening skyward atop their Super Smash Brothers final stage alongside Josephus' severed arm, which latches onto Cars and distracts him enough to send him flying further into the atmosphere, as Joseph totally probably somewhat may be intended to do. Super Hot Fire Cars floats adrift in space forever known as Ultra Cold Dire Cars, while Josephus reflects on his victory and lays his head down on the rock for an eternal rest. Until he miraculously shows up alive and well at his funeral sometime later, with a new robo-hand courtesy of Metal Gear Stroheim and a new wife courtesy of Susie Q, who forgot to update her social media regarding Josephu's status. In a brief Where Are They Now segment, we learn that the married couple moved to America with Lisa Lisa and Ina passes away peacefully at the ripe old age of 81, 
speed waifu passes away cardio violently at the ripe old age of 89. Metal Gear Stroheim passes away ungracefully at the Battle of Stalingrad. And Smokey passes on to the next career level as a mayor in Georgia. As for Josefu, we follow him 50 years later, boarding a plane headed to Nipponland, the despicable dwelling that drew away his daughter, while a mysterious coffin emerges from coastal African waters with... Dio's engraving? What could this mean, dear listener? Hold that thought, though, and look at this scary, sturdy, sexy, imprisoned Japanese delinquent. If that's not your answer, then I don't know what is. Seriously, this coffin is a mindfuck with no logical answer, so prepare yourselves when we dive into part three sometime next year. And now on to our next segment of the show, is that a music reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music. And I'm sorry, guys. I don't have anything. Nothing to round out part two. Nothing. Although, to chime in with my music reference, you could have used Freebird by Leonard Skinner when Cars was going up, up, up and away into the atmosphere like a free bird. <laughs> well, now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And yes, we have a few here, ladies and gentlemen, as I scroll down my notes to try and find them. Um, the first one, I'll do the smaller one first, I guess, or the, the less common one. This is, um, I, I consider it a meme. I don't know how official it is, but I consider it a meme. It's when Joseph, Lisa Lisa, and Susie Q are on the boat moving to America at the end when the narrator is giving us the lowdown on everybody's fates. Um, if you look, it's very quick, but if you look oh. at Joseph's fucking face, <laughs> he has such a look of like just displeasure. <laughs> and I it's think like, it's because he, he's not moving this country. To, yeah, he's fucking moving to America. Like he is just not fucking having it. <laughs> and that face is so funny. And I've seen it used a couple of times here or there. Um, especially on the the subreddit um, shit post crusaders it's like when my mom tells me to clean my room and then you get the fucking joseph face it's just so funny because <laughs> like lisa lisa looks hopeful and Susie q's all happy to be arriving to america and joseph's face and he's like in the corner of the screen too it's not even focused on him he just looks fucking pissed it's just like he's about to say uh he's like come on man <laughs> i mean you know the, the last time he was in america was his his face off with straight so so that left a bad taste in his mouth i'm sure yeah <laughs> and then the other meme which is a much bigger meme probably uh, one of the more well-known ones i guess from from part two actually there's a ton of well-known ones from part two but this is a good one as well from part two and that is at the very end when we flash forward to joseph as a 60 year old grandpa at the airport going to travel to his journey in, in part three and then he <laughs> runs into, or no, is it the Japanese guy? The guy? Yeah, the Japanese traveler runs into him with like his, with his luggage. Yeah, and then he gets his leg all busted up, and then he like, I think he he, he was like, about to forgive the guy, but then he realizes that he's Japanese. Yeah, <laughs> and then he just turns around and shouts, "I'll never forgive the Japanese." Oh no, like he kicks the guy or something first, and then. Yeah, yeah, and then he shouts, I'll never forgive the Japanese with his fist in the air, all because he's pissed that Holly married a Japanese guy and he took her away to Japan. <laughs> Which is very meta if you think about it, because, you know, this 
obviously the show is made by a Japanese, Japanese studio. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that's a good one. That's been used how many times in different contexts. It's just great. I'll never forgive the Japanese. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite memes from this part. And there you have it, the last two memes of JoJo Part 2, Battle Tendency. As always, if we forgot any memes, please reach out to us, let us know, so we can honor each and every one of Joseph's memes in his part of JoJo. All right, so first and foremost with this final episode, there's no OP, and Mm -hmm. you know shit is serious in an anime. You know it's an important episode in an anime when they either skip the OP and just have credits on screen or when they play the ED in the beginning and then the OP at the end when they switch that shit around. Uh, and I'm I'm like, uh, it's bittersweet because, yeah, that signals it's a great episode. It's the final episode of part two. But for me, it's bittersweet because I fucking love Bloody Stream. It's my second or third top three favorite um, JoJo OPs. It's just such a banger. I enjoy it so much. And we don't get it here. We don't get it at all in the episode, right? No. And I think that was signaled by, we talked about it in the last episode, um, with that OP um, having all the sound effects. Like, I think that speak, that was a tradition, at least for a couple of these OPs in JoJo, um, to signal that that was the final time you'd hear the OP. But technically, you do hear an OP in this episode, which I'm sure... You do the rolling credits. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. When it's just the black screen with the rolling credits, they do play it there. Oh, no, I'm not... There's another part two, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So you actually get two OPs in this episode. So I guess, yeah, I shouldn't complain because we we still do hear Bloody Stream and we get a second OP, which is pretty cool. So we don't hear Roundabout. We just don't see the visuals of Bloody Stream. Yeah. Which are, are fun and they're great. But yeah, we don't get them. And yeah, we don't get roundabout either. That's right? true. We don't. So I didn't even realize that because that's been such an impactful song um, so far in this series. And this is the, our last episode was the last time we heard it. That's crazy. It would have, I think it would have, so this would have been a situation where um, the final or an important episode has the OP and the ED switch because the OP is at the end. I think you probably could have fit roundabout in here, but they came so hot out of the gate with the beginning of this episode. Like they are like right in the thick of it that there really wouldn't be a, a, a slow enough lead up to start with roundabout. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. It all turned out great in the end, so can't complain. I do want to take a moment to um, acknowledge the narrator doing fucking work this episode. He's so apparent in this episode. Like he's talking through yeah. everything. <laughs> But really, the episode starts off, um, most importantly, with Stroheim literally being half a body <laughs> in a volcano, an active volcano as Cars is melting away. <laughs> Which I am still so confused how, like, we know Cars is melting, but with Joseph and Stroheim being so close to, you know, this burning lava, I'm sure they'd also, like, the just the heat um, from being in that volcano, they are probably prone to melting as well how could they even breathe yeah that too but i'll i'll give you the answer to that it's called jojo logic yeah. i'm not sure if you yeah. heard of this thing called jojo logic <laughs> but yes they have uh jojo logic and a lot of plot armor. or you can argue that you know it's joseph's hamon that's keeping him alive and stroheim it's german science yeah so. <laughs> there you go <laughs> but as card is in the lava he first attempts to cover his body in a crab-like shell but it continually melts um, in that fucking hot lava. So as Joseph sees him struggling, he celebrates defeating Cars 
prematurely um, and in that moment fucking loses an arm while the I, 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 I Pillarman theme song plays loudly in the background. Yeah, so I, I thought the last time we'd hear the Pillarman theme was the previous episode, but I forgot that this was this is the last instance that we'll we'll hear it. Um, I'd like to think that the arm thing is is a reference to Star Wars, just because <laughs> you know in Star Wars Luke Skywalker loses his hand. This is true. Um, and I think Battle Tendency we came out a little after um, the Empire Strikes Back. I think eighty seven. I think Empire Strikes Back came out eighty two, eighty three. But you know it was within that time when Empire Strikes or Star Wars was still at its height of popularity. So I'd, I'd like to think it was a, a Star Wars reference. Maybe someone can confirm that out there. I think part of it, too, is to lead the audience to believe that Joseph is on his way to suffer the same Joestar fate. I mean, they do that often, like, right, like yeah. multiple times this episode where they lead us, they basically bait us to believe that Joseph's going to die. Um, technically, he should have died, uh, but that sweet, sweet plot armor prevented him from bleeding to death after his arm was severed because that shit was bleeding. Yeah, unless, you know, because they're so close to heat that the the just wound immediately <laughs> cauterized. He just takes his hand, just dunks it in the lava, and it's cauterized. <laughs> um, and also, you know, I just want to understand if the science behind how Cars protected himself is actually real. This is another instance of someone someone do the math or someone did the math like that subreddit. <laughs> yeah, so Carter's second attempt at surviving the lava, he creates a second layer on himself outside of the crab-like shell, and this layer is made of foam to act as a buffer. Again, the narrator is there doing work explaining the, the, the logic to us, whether or not it's literal logic or JoJo logic. I mean, it's probably yeah, JoJo does the logic. Narrator, the narrator even understand if no, this is logic? Like, I don't know what this is. I'm just reading <laughs> off to you what they told me to tell you. But yeah, I'm also curious if anyone in the science community has debunked this. I'm sure somebody has. That'd be fun to do like a, a thesis on cars's attempts at surviving the lava and whether or not it would actually work <laughs> but if anyone mm-hmm. knows if any if there is confirmation of whether or not this shit actually would work or not um let us know i'd be curious i'm gonna guess it probably is not gonna work yeah or if there's like a you know science and anime book that explains I mean, some like of the phenomena like wouldn't the foam fucking melt i don't know i'm not gonna think about it too <laughs> i hard. mean he, cars would have to just keep replicating the foam yeah if you just kept making it that's yeah. fine but if it was just a, a, a single layer on its own like that shit would like turn to dust in an instant in the lava i imagine mm-hmm. anyway yeah clearly i do not have a science background um but amidst all of this cars um or i guess the narrator gives us ba- a backstory on who cars is why the stone mass was created and why cars wants to become the ultimate being which he states is in order to conquer the sun and again, like this is great backstory about cars um, that is important for us to know because really they have not given us any of the answers to these questions until this moment. It's just, it kind of falls on deaf ears when you're giving this to us within like 10 minutes of this character being defeated. Right. Like I, I this would have been more important earlier on, especially the stone mask thing because the stone mask has been around since episode one of JoJo. I would have thought like this would have been a, Appropriate, as we discussed earlier, after Cars had put on the stone mask, because um, I know like the lot of a lot of the last episode was just him figuring out the powers of the mask or getting reaccustomed to them, right? Since he already knew what the mask was capable of. Yeah. But I think they just threw this in there 
um, just as a quick thing before we we see Cars' demise, um, which he has an interesting backstory, like reading or looking at my notes and watching the episode. It's very similar to like Lucifer or as as some of the religious world knows him as like Satan because he like a fall from grace, um, especially because all he did was just pique his curiosity about wanting to be immortal, even though I think the Pillarmen race or tribe were already considered like to be godlike. Um, and so he just wanted to take that to the next step. And, you know, like that just led to him being greedy. But we know that he he got rid of his entire tribe, including his own parents, because he's a savage. And I think it was just, he's, I think the narrator says that the only survivors were his comrade, which I think was ACDC, and then two infants, which I don't know if one Wamu of... Wamu and Santana, right? Oh, which makes me think then, because once... You know, we saw a flashback of Wamu having to kill that other, kill that kid. Oh, wait, no, never mind. That kid was just a regular human being with Hamon. A Hamon user, yeah. Um, so that makes me wonder, was it ever addressed why they ended up, like, frozen into pillars? I don't know. I, don't, <laughs> I actually, that's a good question. I actually don't know why they decided to sleep. Yeah, for 2,000 years. Maybe they were just bored. <laughs> Unless it went over my head and we had already discussed this, but I, looking at my notes now, I'm wondering, like, why would you go to sleep if you had everything in your grasp? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think they address it specifically, but... Man, we've been uh, we've been going through the motion of uh, parts one and two for literally a year now, so it may have been just a, a long time since then, and we we forgot. But if anyone knows, please reach out, let us know, because now I'm, now my wheels are turning. Now I'm curious if if they did in an earlier episode. Okay, so I actually just looked up the wiki, um, JoJo's Bizarre wiki, um, for cards. Uh, it says here that he found the Super Asia. Um, at, during the time of the Roman Empire. It was in possession of the Roman Emperor, which I think they did mention in a previous episode. Um, but he was blocked from attaining the stone by Hamon users. And so I think that explains why he, he hates Hamon so much. Um, and it says here, while successful in the tribe's decimation, he and his comrades were forced to hibernate under the Roman Colosseum, which still doesn't explain, like, if you were able to defeat these Hamon users, why would you need to go into hiding? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's it, because Araki decided to. That, yeah. That's why. If, if <laughs> so Kami-sama Araki says so, then yeah, it is. Like, so, so they can meet Joseph Joestar 2,000 years later and you could have this part. It's the string of fate. And speaking of Joseph, when we flash forward to the present day, um, Joseph once again uses Hamon Overdrive, and uh, it's pretty cool anytime he does that because I don't remember him specifically learning that because no one actually, well, okay, to be fair, Lisa Lisa probably taught him, but um, it's just kind of cool to see him use a, a, a move that was originally, you know, used by his grandfather, Jonathan. Um, however, this time he uses it only to be hit with Hamon right back from cars. And I saw a meme recently on the subreddit r shit post crusaders where someone said technically 
Cars is the strongest Hamon user ever. It's not Lisa Lisa. It's not Straight So. It's not um, Zapelli. It's not Joseph. It's not Jonathan. It's Cars. Because of the stone mask? Because he's yeah. a, the ultimate being, and mm-hmm. he can now use Hamon without being hurt. And he even says in this episode that his Hamon is 100 times more powerful than Joseph's Hamon. So technically, Cars of all fucking people is the strongest Hamon user ever. And my mm-hmm. mind was kind of blown when I saw that. And the craziest thing is, I think Cars mentions that it's like Joseph is being burned by the sun. Like, imagine. And his kneecap. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. Oh, my like, God. Imagine, the pain. yeah, this, the threshold of pain. Because he just he has a <laughs> severed arm and a melting kneecap. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Poor guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Car says, how does it feel to get a taste of your own medicine? And that's kind of fair. I mean, he fights with Hamon, but he's never been hit with Hamon. So, right. Yeah, that's that's fair, but it's also like you could say the same thing about cars with, I don't know, something else that he like probably getting hit with a boner blade, like taking someone's <laughs> leg and pretending to play air guitar oh, with it. Wing, wing. <laughs> um, but at this point, Joseph feels defeated and calmly accepts his fate as a Joestar, his fate of dying. And when it seemed like he kind of gave up on everything. He suddenly has a big brain moment and uses the redstone of Aja. And fucking Sonochino Sadame plays in the background. Such an epic part of this episode. I love that they brought that back, even though it was the OP for only nine episodes, right? But I think it just, like, the, the name of the song is like The Fate of That Blood, right? Um, so it's appropriate that it, it's brought back full circle because now we're, we're seeing Joseph's fate come into play. And it's just a great rock anthem, especially for this climactic moment where uh, Joseph finally, quote-unquote, maybe, <laughs> defeats Cars. Um, and I have to question, like, the, the, the title of the episode is The Ascendant One. Who is the ascendant one? In Are they this talking episode? literally? I think they're talking literally. Yeah, so like it's it's cars the ascendant one. He ascended right? into space. <laughs> <laughs> or is it Joseph ascending into I don't know his his into his the sky true, on a flying rod. <laughs> or his true status as the the um successor of the Joe Star lineage. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do want to take a second with this the scene where Joseph uses the Redstone of Asia against cars. Obviously very smart, very, very clever move on Joseph's part. Not even clever in the trickster way, but just really a big brain moment from Joseph. He's tried everything else. The lava didn't fucking work. The airplane didn't fucking work. The sunlight doesn't work. Let's try using the stone against him. And it's not so much about this moment. It's actually about the sound design. And I think I hope that we can have a future discussion um, here on Strictly JoJo about, you know, music and all that, but also include some discussion around sound design because the sound design in JoJo is absolutely phenomenal. And I'm sure we'll talk even more about sound design as we move into um, part three and beyond with the introduction of stands. But one of the coolest things um, about the sound design in part uh, part two of JoJo because part one, I think the best sound design was the hamon noise. You know, when you, when they do the hamon breathing and you got kind of that like that wine glass, a crystal yeah. glass kind of sounding thing. Like if you, you know, 
put circle your finger on the rim of a crystal glass you get that what do you describe it as like that wow wow like, <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of like, a, like a, a long chime i guess yeah kind of like um sound waves almost yeah um that's really cool of course they bring that into part two but anyway the coolest sound design to me in part two is anytime light hits the redstone of asia and they it happens multiple times here that that sound that like wing kind of sound that happens um clearly i'm not doing it any justice but i love it so much and i feel like they made it even louder for this last episode it is just like so in your face and i love that noise so much you could play that out of nowhere and i'll immediately know that that's the redstone of asia hold on now i gotta just briefly go back to the episode and hear this sound <laughs> it's distinct and again that's that's the brilliance of sound design in jojo i mean plenty of anime have very genius sound design but jojo consistently has excellent sound design where you could hear a noise from a stand like when um when crazy diamond uses you know when when josuke uses that power you'll immediately know it's crazy diamond here it's like once you hear that that wing noise you immediately know it's the redstone of asia that that's fantastic sound design in my opinion okay so i just listened to the sound it kind of sounds like um like like a, like the the shield in, Le, like in Legend of Zelda like I don't know like the Hillian shield something like something bouncing off a shield yeah Maybe. it's kind of got a combination of like ricocheting meets yeah. like laser meets like shrieking almost mm-hmm. it's kind of weird like I don't know how props to the sound design team for JoJo I don't know how they come up with these fucking noises it's it's insane but yeah the redstone of Aja sound when when sunlight hits it it's just a really cool very distinct sound and again. I just I love the sound design in the show. Here I was just paying attention to how this scene reminded me of um, when SpongeBob held up the sock against the Flying Dutchman oh, yeah. <laughs> to defend himself, <laughs> and the Flying Dutchman refused to destroy his favorite sock. <laughs> Same concept here, but yeah. So moving on from this excellent scene again, Sonochino Sadame kicks in and it's um, a fucking banger, and then they are launched into the sky they being cars and joseph cars tries to fly away and as fucked up as it is joseph's severed hand launches into cars's throat and causes him to be frazzled and unable to fly away from the rock that is shooting up that is ascending into Mm -hmm. the sky um and the best part of this moment is that Cars asks if Joseph planned this, and Joseph doesn't skip a beat as he says, yes, every little bit was part of my plan. Of course, he then admits afterwards, you know, internally afterwards, that that's not exactly true. But it's so like Cars to think that the trickster Joseph had this all planned out somehow because he always pulls off these crazy plans. And it's so like Joseph to take advantage of luck because luck is a skill for Joseph um, and say, yeah, I I intended for all of this to happen. I think you forgot to mention that Joseph says, now you'll say, was this part of your plan too, Jojo? Oh, shit, which, you're right. Which, again, that signals whenever he says that, that it was something intentional for him to do. But like you said, there's like a one in a millionth chance that his severed arm was still intact enough for it to launch right at the right angle to to grab cars. Um, but I think, you know, as... As hard to explain as that is, again, with fate being the running theme of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, you could just chalk it up to fate that Joseph's hand 
did latch on to cars and maybe Joseph didn't intend it actually and played it off, but I think it just goes back to the destiny of the Joestar lineage. Luck is a skill for Joseph. He's he's the only one who can claim luck is actually a skill. Luck and pluck. Yeah, luck and pluck. Um, but yeah, I, that that was as morbid and as fucked up as it is to have your severed hand launch out of a volcano into someone's neck. It's kind of like justice arts at that point. So here is my controversial question for part two. Did Joseph really defeat Cars? Hold on. We're going to talk about that at the end. <laughs> I was going to bring that up at the end because that, that's okay. going to be a whole other discussion. So okay. yes, that is coming. We will we'll talk about that at the end of our discussion here because I want to take some, some time to really think this one through. Um, but after the whole severed hand part, I think Cars then gets like propelled into space somehow. Again, JoJo logic. And at this moment, Joseph once again accepts his Joestar fate and bids everyone farewell. And Stroheim even sends a message to Speedwagon that Joseph has died. And once again, we're baited because that was not the case <laughs> at all. Yeah. Although his official date of death is February 28th. But I don't know if that... <laughs> was that even put on his gravestone? Um, um The years were. I think, I think oh, yeah, there was the dates years, on there. I, no, it was, it was the years he was alive. It was 1920 to 1939. I remember that because I wrote a note here that he died when he was 19 years old. There you go. But, yeah, when I first saw... Like, I wasn't surprised when... Like it, the narrator announced that Joseph had passed away because seeing what happens in part one, you you, you kind of expect like that this is the fate of all Joe stars, um, but then you get the the infamous funeral scene um, where Joseph shows up to his own funeral. But before that, Cars is lost in space forever. Oh right, for, forever frozen conscious. Wait, con. It's frozen, frozen and it, conscious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's there's memes that circled around for a little bit that I don't know, some some person had this idea where in the future, um, cars eventually re-enters Earth's orbit, crashes back down to Earth, and hunts down Joseph. <laughs> and I'm kinda <laughs> like, that'd be a cool concept, but the narrator confirms that he never made it back to Earth. And uh, How convenient. <laughs> he he longed for his life to end but couldn't die, so he just stopped thinking. Honestly, of all the deaths we see in JoJo, this is probably the most fucked up. And I know it's not a literal death, but it's basically like dying. I think the narrator says, yeah, this is a fate worse than death. So like, even, there you go, Cars. Like, picture yourself in that situation. Would you rather float in space as a rock for, for endless time, or would you rather just pass away into the great beyond yeah i would never <laughs> want to suffer cars's fate like that's mm -hmm. the downside of immortality i guess so is here's my other question is is cars's fate worse or Dia diavolo's fate in part five? Oh, <laughs> we're talking eternity both ways there. yeah oh god but i think Ooh. both like i think it's fair to say both characters will have a shitty rest of their lives <laughs> yeah oh that's actually a really good question you know what can we write this hang on hang on everyone i want to write this question down i would love to to revisit this idea um who suffers a worse fate in jojo cars versus diavolo which you know, I think there's a whole subreddit dedicated to Diavolo's death. Yeah, or not death, but like his what he ends up 
becoming. <laughs> yeah, the different ways he suffers. Um, if anyone listening wants to vote who suffers a worse fate, Cars or Diavolo, please reach out to us because I actually really want to know what people's thoughts are on who's who's got it worse in this situation. So that is another controversial question <laughs> for today's episode. But yes, please reach out to us. As always, you can email us. Um, you can contact us through our website, thestrictlyseries.com. You can send us a DM on Twitter, at Strictly Series. You can send us a DM on uh, at, through Instagram, at the Strictly Series. But I actually am genuinely curious if anyone does have an opinion on that, please reach out to us. Cars versus Diavolo. Place your bets. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then um, we move into what is probably one of my favorite moments in all of Battle Tendency. And that is the infamous funeral scene where Joseph unknowingly shows up to his own funeral and acts a fool. I I love everything about this, this scene. I, I think it's Joseph Joestar at his finance. Like this scene just defines his fucking life and the the absurdity of it. I mean, he he was alive this whole time after multiple times accepting his death and his fate as a Joe star. He still lives. Um, he's probably super excited to let his family know. He goes and marries Susie Q. He keeps his promise and immediately marries Susie Q and asks her to send a telegram so that everyone knows that he's okay. And he's probably so <laughs> excited to see his family. And he goes to the graveyard only to find out that they're mourning his death. And I'm just like, this this would happen to Joseph. This would absolutely happen to Joseph. Wouldn't he wonder why everyone was at the cemetery? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, That's what I was wondering. I'm like, wouldn't it be weird Like when you're trying to find everyone? It's like, oh, they're all at a funeral at the cemetery. Like, Wouldn't his first question be like, whose funeral are they at? Yeah, because uh, it can't be Stroheim. Well, because the war hadn't come to a head yet, uh, or World War II at least. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it is Joseph after all, and he just had to deal with a severed hand and a new marriage, so maybe he wasn't thinking about it. Yeah, plus Stroheim <laughs> can't be mar- or buried in an American cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's cute when we find out that Susie Q forgot to tell everyone that Joseph survived, and they kind of have that, that funny little argument at the cemetery, and he gets all pissed, and he's, his like mechanical hand is creaking, and she goes, hee, 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 let's not get all creaky now. I just love that part so much. <laughs> so, such like a pun <laughs> Because I, I really enjoy um, Susie Q and Joseph's back and forth. I mean, the the one time they interact, well, actually, the multiple times they've interacted when they first um, had their interaction in Italy. Yeah, at, at Air Suplina, whatever it's called. Yeah, Air Suplina Island. Um, when they first kind of are flirting, and then when they Joseph and Lisa Lisa leave to go hunt down the red stone, and then Susie Q runs after him, and they have their cute back and forth. Where basically, he promises her, but you know, doesn't miss a chance to tease her at the same time. Um, and even in the the flashbacks of Susie Q taking care of Joseph, you get that moment where she's trying to feed him, but then she fucks around and, like, puts this, the fork in all different directions so Joseph can't reach it. <laughs> I just love that. I think they have a really great back and forth, and I think they both enjoy, you know, teasing each other and playing pranks on each other, and I think that's that's a... A great setup for a great marriage. If yeah, we just, if Joseph we, played a big prank on her <laughs> later on. If we dis- disregard all of the uh, Joske <laughs> shit, um, <laughs> that's another topic too that I'm sure we'll t- we'll cover here on Strictly JoJo. But uh, yeah, everything about this is so much fun, and it's just nice to know that Joseph and Susie Q actually did keep their promise and got together. I think it's just nice to see that Joseph's still alive. 
Um, yeah, that too. Yes, <laughs> that that cannot be uh, overlooked. And it was such a such a played out lead up um, until we actually saw his face. I know, like it's like, obvious the second he steps out of the car. Well, we even know like I I remember watching it the first time, and I wasn't sure if it was. I don't. I thought like they were just seeing some ghostly apparition of uh, Joseph. Um, but when like we finally get his face reveal, like I, I breathed a sigh of relief because like I'm glad that he broke the cycle of of untimely deaths for all the male Joe stars. Yeah. <laughs> so then we move into the narrator sharing the fate of all of the characters in part two. Um, first off, Joseph and Lisa Lisa and Susie Q move to America. And that's when we get that fucking um, face from Joseph because uh. he's like, God damn it, I have to come back to New York again. Um, for Edina, she passes away um, of old age. And I really love this scene because I don't know if this is in the manga or not. If it's not in the manga, then props to David Production for adding these little bits here because they are really good about adding these homages to other parts. But if you notice at De- uh, Edina's um, bedside, of course, it's all of her friends and family. And there we see little Holly. We see little Holly with Joseph oh, and Susie Q. And then when they pan over to Edina laying in the bed, you can see the photos on the table next to her of her at her wedding with Jonathan. Um, I think there's a family photo with Holly as well. And there's also a family photo with Lisa Lisa and um, Joseph, which I love so much because it's great to see that like clearly he found out that's his mother and they're establishing a relationship that they didn't get to have before. Yeah, it's very nice attention to detail. And even if it were included in the manga, it's probably just like little silhouettes on the frames, right? Yeah, I think it's just uh, whether or not it's in the manga, it's great that David Production made sure that this was in there because it's it's fun. It's just a great lead up. And I just love how everything ties together um, all the time in this show. It's one of the, the fun things about watching JoJo's keeping an eye out for those things that you know show up in other parts. Mm-hmm. Then for Speedwagon. Um, he expanded his empire, the Speedwagon Foundation, and apparently died without ever having married. And the JoJo fandom couldn't handle this one, okay? Not only they were that, very upset about this. And he passed away of a heart attack. He didn't even have a peaceful death. Well, I think a heart attack was imminent for him. I mean, yeah, he's always he, panicking. Yeah, he's always panicking about Jonathan or Joseph. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, in, the, in that sense, it does make sense for him to die yeah i hate to say it but i think a heart attack is actually a very expected way for speedwagon to die um but yeah the fandom could not handle the fact that speedwagon never married i mean to to me it's like he will always be best waifu to jonathan um and he'll always be best friend to to best girl Irina. but it is just kind of there's like a little bit of sadness there to think that he never actually got to have um you know a wife and all of that i like to think he just dedicated his life to saving the world which is a very noble cause again for such a noble man saving the world and supporting and 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 saving the joe star family well past his death as we will see as the parts go on in jojo Best boy Smokey became a mayor in Georgia, and in part three, we get that little cameo from him when uh, Susie Q is reading the, or she's got like a magazine, I think, on the coffee table. Yeah. And it's actually um, Smokey as mayor, um, you know, another cameo to remind us that like Smokey is still doing well. Yeah. And what a what a come up for him to Hell be yeah. like a, a pickpocket to uh, a political position of power. Smokey is, uh, he's making moves. Yeah. Then Stroheim, unfortunately, never saw <laughs> maybe Joseph. maybe fortunately. <laughs> well, 
at a human level, Stroheim <laughs> never saw his friend Joseph again, but he he died in the war, um, obviously enjoying his German engineering because the last moment we see of him is like all these crazy mechanical contraptions coming out of his back, like kind of like mm-hmm. Doc Ock or something. Yeah, which yeah makes me surprised with all that German engineering and science, he still got defeated by the Russians. <laughs> Um, and then we, again, flash forward to, uh, what was it, 40 years into the future? Yeah, it's in 1987. Basically setting us up for part three. Like, literally the lead-in into part three. This is Joseph at the fucking airport um, getting run over by a Japanese guy's suitcase and then screaming, he'll never forgive the Japanese. And this is weird because... This is uh, Joseph, part two Joseph's normal voice actor, Tomokazu Sugita, voice acting, but as older Joseph with a deeper, you know, inflection in his voice. But then when you move into part three, you actually have a completely different voice actor for that character. Both are fantastic voice actors for their respective um, Josephs. I just think it was kind of an interesting choice that they didn't bring back. Um... I said Tomokazu Sugita. I, I always flip-flop his name, but Sugita Tomokazu is how I normally say it. Mm-hmm. Um, how they didn't bring him back to voice part three, Joseph. Yeah, because I know um, I'm looking at the voice cast list. It's Unsho Ishizuka. Um, Who did pass away, right? Yes, he passed away um, in 2018. Um, so, RIP. But, yeah, it was an interesting choice that they decided not to go again with... Um, I'm going to call him Tomokazu Sugita. <laughs> but maybe just because they felt like Uncho Ishizuka, his his vocal timber fit more of that old Joseph that they were looking for, um, rather than having Tomokazu like, try his best to be like a, a, a grumpy old man. Or I wonder if it was a scheduling thing, because I know mm. um, Sugita Tomokazu is Gintoki from Gintama, right. which, I mean... He's like always in the throes of that. Obviously, it ended recently, but it's cool. In Gintama, there is um, a character played by what's his name again? Older Joseph Seu. Uh, Uncho Ishizuka. Yeah, so he plays a character in Gintama where his character and Gintoki interact. Is this the hard boiled? Yeah, the hard boiled <laughs> detective. Um, so it's really cool, just from like a JoJo fan perspective, to hear those two voice actors interact. Of course, it also happens in the JoJo video game Eyes of Heaven, which if anyone hasn't played that, um, gameplay-wise, it's garbage, but just from a JoJo fan standpoint and like the, the story of it all and kind of bringing characters together, it's really cool to see like older Joseph and young Joseph interact and literally have dialogue together. Um, of course, all the characters interacting is, is really cool, but uh, I recommend that. Just just as a JoJo fan playing it, it's, again, the, the game mechanics and stuff are like kind of hot garbage, but it's worth it to just uh, experience that bit of JoJo. I don't want to call it lore because it's not canon, but just that, that JoJo, I don't know what you want to call it. Cinematic, not cinematic. It's just universe. a JoJo thing. <laughs> it's a JoJo thing that's really cool. <laughs> I think one of the best parts of this finale, um, this like airport scene, is the transition of Joseph using the Walkman, hitting play, and then we go straight into Bloody Stream. I love that mm-hmm. so much, and I think that's like underappreciated. I think that's a fantastic way because I mean, he's literally hitting play on his Walkman, and he just so happens to be listening to Bloody Stream. That's like a, a great way to to wrap up the episode before we get the post credit scene. And I just love that it's a Sony Walkman 
for him having complained about the Japanese. Yeah, he's, he's using like, a Japanese device to listen to. He's like, I'm pissed about this, but I do love my Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> and like Walkman of all things. I mean, talk about 80s. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, we are in the 80s, dude. Like he's using a Walkman for anyone who knows what the fuck a Walkman is. We are in the fucking 80s. Although I, I had a Walkman. Yeah, in the 90s, early 2000s, but it was the CD player That's version. what I had, too. Yeah. yeah, I had the CD player Walkman. I thought it was, oh, man, this is so revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, let's talk about that post-credit scene. I love, yeah. love, love, love. I mean, there's a lot of things I love about this last episode, but I love that we don't skip a beat between parts two and three, that we get the preview of Joseph heading to Japan, Dio's coffin being discovered, and, of course... Part two, Jotaro, part two, Jotaro, part two, Jotaro. How mm. cool is that? <laughs> yeah, he looked a lot more blue and purplish um, in this. Like now looking back at um, part two and part three in tandem, right? I think that he was, they colored him in the, like his original manga colors. Uh, yes. Yes. Right, because it, it was his. It was like a blue jacket and um, like a purple shirt, if I remember correctly. Unless it was just because he was silhouetted um, in that prison. No, I cell. think I think you're right. Um, okay, I'm gonna Google this really quick. Jotaro manga. Yeah, in the manga, he wears a blue jacket with the the purple pink shirt. Because um, yeah, if you there's a lot of Jotaro figures that have the various colors. Like you can get it in like manga version and anime version so yeah i think they did stick with the manga co- manga colors for his part two look now i'm looking it up on google as well yeah it looks like it's the blue and purple um and he looks a lot more sinister in the part two animation style it's just so cool to see him in that. Like, even if it's just for that split second, it's really cool to see him. And mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge that Jotaro has the most appearances in JoJo. He has um, a part two version, of course, part three, part four. He has a part five version where he suddenly gets really fucking skinny. <laughs> um, of course, he's going to have a part six version. So it's just kind of interesting. I mean, if there's one character in JoJo who's iconic to the series it is jotaro absolutely a hundred percent him and then probably dio second um because he he plays such an integral part in the story even just as small as his appearance is at the end of part two that's a big deal it's a very very big deal so the fact that they they took the time to animate him in the part two style is really cool I remember when we first watched this, you were so eager to jump into part three. Because the, the but... <laughs> introduction of Jotaro in part three is so fucking and funny. No, like I, I get that now, but I was I just wanted to enjoy closing out Joseph's story for the moment. Well, you know me, but... I'm I'm impatient. <laughs> I was so excited for you to, to jump right into part three. But no, three. yeah, like this this was a nice teaser into what to expect for part three. I will say I was super confused the first time I watched it. I'm like, who the fuck is this this guy in jail yeah that was my reaction too i was like <laughs> let me enjoy joseph and then we'll we'll deal with this delinquent but hey jotaro ended up becoming your favorite Jotaro. he did so <laughs> um but i think the other thing we have to call out about this um i guess post credit scene is the coffin yeah right and i also distinctly remember after watching this uh episode asking you why is this coffin still a thing when we saw Erina get out of this coffin with um, the 
with was it Lisa Lisa right? Yeah. The, as an infant, um, I thought it was one and done, and then <laughs> I think. And he, I was like, just wait. Yeah. You'll find out. Just wait. <laughs> and then I found out there was no answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally one of the biggest plot holes of JoJo. Like mm-hmm. no joke, it is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, plot hole in all of JoJo's bizarre adventure. But we will save that discussion, that in-depth discussion for when we kick off part three, probably in a few months after part six wraps up. So look forward to that. Mm -hmm. And speaking of discussions, let's move into the biggest question about this episode that you uh, mentioned earlier. Did Joseph actually defeat cars? Yes, luck is a skill, but let's think about this critically. Did Joseph actually defeat the big baddie of part two? Because Jonathan, okay, well, then you have to also ask, like, did Jonathan actually defeat Dio in part one? I mean, yes and no. I mean, technically no, Mm, but I guess you can also also argue that, which is something I do want to bring up again when we talk about the whole coffin thing. We'll we'll dive into that when we talk about part three, the first episode. Um, But just thinking here in part two, what is your opinion? I mean, just, just being totally realistic and critical about it, does Joseph actually deserve to – does he deserve the W in this situation? Yeah, it's hard to think about now too. I mean, it says that he had subconsciously held up the redstone of Aja as a last defense, and that's kind of what set everything in motion for Cars to be defeated like afterwards. The, the eruption? Yeah, right? Like that. the redstone of Aja was the catalyst. So – I guess in a way for him to have done that, even if he wasn't aware of it, like it, that was him still securing the victory. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, wh- what what are your thoughts on it? I struggle with that as well because you're right. Like that that was his move to hold up the redstone of Asia to set off the volcanic eruption, and then everything that led, you know, that kind of fell after that. Um, but the hand thing is a fluke. The only mm-hmm. reason Cars was not able to escape um, and got launched into space is because of the severed hand. And then, of course, the debris from, like, the volcanic eruption sent him higher and higher and higher. But the hand was also a catalyst in in defeating him. So can you say if the hand thing wasn't a thing, could Cars have escaped from that flying rock and not have been launched into space? So, like, right. really, what is the catalyst here? Is it the Redstone of Asia or is it his severed hand? If it's the Redstone of Asia, I think you can say, yes, Joseph defeated Cars, even though everything that happened afterwards was definitely pure luck. Um, if you say that the hand, the severed hand, was the catalyst in Cars' defeat, Zahando <laughs> was the catalyst, then mm, you kind of could say that Joseph didn't defeat him. Right, because I then mean, he literally, also, his hand defeated him, but yeah. not Joseph's. Well, I was going to say, yeah, brain yeah the literal thing is, yes, it, it's Joseph's hand, so yes, Joseph did defeat him, but he but, had no control over right. the hand. Right, and so. like, and then he even mentions himself, like he had no idea that the hand would have even. But then, been like, a thing. You, you think about it further, and the hand would never have been launched into the sky had he not used the redstone of Asia. Like, right. it kind of just goes in a circle. So mm-hmm. I almost call it half a win. Um, again, luck is a skill for Joseph, but not a skill that he can control. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like I would give him half a win. I think that, yes, there are things that he did that led to this. I mean, the fact that he even fought cars for as long as he did and and tried everything he could. And he had some really clever ideas. I mean, the lava was a smart idea. The redstone of Asia was a smart idea. Like Mm -hmm. these were good ideas 
um, not just him being clever or, or trickster or anything like that. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know, like it's like, it's like half a win. And I think there's, there's a kind of poetry in that because cars was like his ultimate goal was to find the redstone of Asia and to use that in his bid for immortality and for taking over the world. Right. So it, there's an irony in, I guess, Joseph using it to save himself too. And that's bouncing off, like causing uh, Cars' plans to have like a wrench thrown in them. Um, so I guess there's symbolism bet- behind the, the stone being used um, in, in that sense to, to, to defeat Cars. Yeah, I like. I don't want to not give any credit to Joseph, but I think it just comes down to like what really was the the key here to unlock Cars's death. Wow, I sound so clever. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it the Red Son of Aja or is it the severed hand? Um, I don't know. I will say this: Joseph was much closer to defeating Cars than Josuke was to defeating his villain in part four. Oh my god yeah i mean dotaro kind of stole the show there <laughs> yeah poor josuke he he got kind of snubbed there by his mentor so i will <laughs> just leave it at that well i similar to the whole cars versus diavolo debate um if any anyone listening has uh input they'd like to share on whether or not joseph actually defeated cars Again, please, please reach out to us. I am genuinely curious to know what um, what all of you think about this this question. Do you think that Joseph actually defeated Cars, or do you think that it was all just fate or dumb luck or whatever it was, and it wasn't truly Joseph who deserves to be the winner here? I mean, he deserves to be the winner, but you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. deserves to, to, to take home the W on this one. Yes, we need to resolve this issue. This issue. <laughs> <laughs> and so that leads us into our final thoughts, not only for part two, episode 17, the ascendant one, but also part two, battle tendency as a whole. So, with that said, how many nigerundayos out of 10 would you give part two, battle tendency? First of all, I can't even believe we're here. I cannot believe we have finished yet another part of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Granted, part one and part two are on the shorter side because they complete one season, but how crazy is it? We have wrapped up yet another part of this amazing show. Mm -hmm. Um, As I mentioned when we were giving our final ratings for part one, as a JoJo fan, 10 out of 10. Absolutely. But (laughs) as, I guess, a podcaster, it's weird to call myself that, but as a podcaster who reviews anime, I have to give a more realistic critical score. And if I'm thinking through that lens, um, I gave part one a seven out of 10. I would give part two a solid eight out of 10. I Mm. think that there's, um, I don't know, there's something about part two that is absolutely enjoyable and lovable, but there's also something about part two that leaves something to be desired. And it could just be the fact that David Productions was up against having less than a full season of episodes to tell this story there's just something about part two that is slightly underwhelming compared to parts three and beyond it's kind of like part one right like they only had nine episodes to tell that story although it was less of an exciting story to begin with so i understand why they made the decision to only give it nine episodes um 
but yeah, I, I don't know. There's something about part two. Like I just wanted a little bit more. I wanted a little bit more hype, a little bit more oomph that you get from like part three, part four, part five, and hopefully from part six. So that's why I give it a solid eight because it's still fantastic. It's still fun. It's still super important to the story and has, of course, my favorite jo- Jojo. But um, I would. it's not in the nine territory for me, if that makes sense. And for this episode overall, fantastic wrap up to this to the story of joseph joestar as a young joseph joestar but what about you what is your rating of part two that's a really interesting take because i think i my take is going to be slightly different but i would actually give part two a nine out of ten <laughs> and i think it's because i look at it in the context of going from part one to part two um because watching part one like most other people nine episodes like you're kind of just going through the motions with it right and as you always say like get through the first nine episodes of jojo and then Um, you'll be hooked yeah and then you get to part two um and i think along those lines like many other folks out there um in the jojo fandom this was the part that made me fall in love with jojo and just helped me buy into the insanity of the series so I've made this comparison, I think, on Anime Headliners podcast and some other podcasts as well, is that I look at parts one and two similar to Assassin's Creed, which is one of my favorite video game series. Um, whereas Assassin's Creed had its protagonist, Altair, who sets this foundation, much like Jonathan sets the foundation for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in part one. But it's really... Assassin's Creed 2 with Ezio or in our case part 2 Battle Tendency with Joseph that really gets people invested in the story and I think Joseph was a fantastic secondary protagonist to follow Jonathan because I think if we didn't have Joseph Joestar as the main character for part 2 and followed all of his antics and wackiness I don't know if Jojo's Bizarre Adventure would have been as successful as it is now um and on a, on a funnier side he's pretty much the reason jojo's becomes a bizarre adventure because the joestar lineage just falls into degeneracy from here on out <laughs> um and i just overall love the wackiness of part two despite having this very dangerous supernatural threat with the pillar men and i guess thanks to this show i'd never thought i'd find a nazi character so endearing um but you know, ending part two, again, looking back at part one and two together on a happier note was a definite plus. Um, even though the show had kind of led us into thinking that Joseph was going to share the same fate as Jonathan, I think for it to continue that way would have been a waste to have us kind of wonder about Joseph's potential. Um, but obviously with this episode, we don't have to worry about that. And we'll find out that he's still very much around and very much his wacky self when we get to part three. So I think there's a lot of things that I, as a JoJo fan, am very thankful of with part two. Again, kind of taking the foundation for JoJo and bringing it to the next level. And again, bringing out that really bizarre aspect and wacky aspect that we've all come to to know and love with subsequent parts. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I certainly have to give tons of credit to Joseph Joestar in part two, similar to you being the 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 thing that hooked me on JoJo and kept me there forever. And you're right. I do tell people all the time, make it to episode 10. 
the whole show will change and and suck you in as soon as you get to Joseph Joestar. Um, It holds a very special place in my heart, not only because, again, Joseph is my favorite, but just because of how you get such a tone shift and um, a shift in your perception of Jojo as the viewer when you reach this part of the story. And like I said, there's still so much more for Joseph to offer in, in this series. So I'm very excited to see that, but also, of course, me being a hardcore Jotaro simp, can't wait to see what Jotaro gets up to in part three. And you're going to get a lot of Jotaro yeah. throughout Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited to rewatch part three again, as long as it will be. Um, and you know, I, I think you said it'll take about two years until we get through it, but I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Part three is still, I think, the most popular part of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. So there's going to be a lot of great reviews, a lot of great discussion that comes out of that. And there you have it. We have completed part two, Battle Tendency, of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. I still am in awe that we've reached this point and that we've been you know, doing this podcast, Strictly Jojo, for a full year now. It's been absolutely amazing. Um, thank you to everyone who has been listening to us, whether it's recently, whether it's been throughout this entire year. Um, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Continue to stick around with us because there's plenty of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure love to talk about. And I cannot wait to dive into part six very, very soon. But yes, again, we, we can't thank you guys enough for all of your support over the last year. And we look forward to another year of this bizarre adventure <laughs> that we're on. Yeah, and I guess kind of just echo what Courtney said. Um, it's just crazy that we've reached this one-year mark with um, this podcast. But, you know, it's just great to share the love with a fandom as crazy and goofy and in, in some ways very intelligent as, as the JoJo <laughs> fandom. And so hopefully we continue to provide you guys with, with the best of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure with our thoughts and our discussions. And long may the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure story continue. Part 10 <laughs> and 11 and 12 and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> yeah, we love this community so much. We love the JoJo fandom so much, even though we get a lot of shit sometimes. And we love you guys so, so much. Thank you for continuing to listen to Strictly JoJo. And that wraps up episode 26 of Strictly JoJo and concludes part two of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Cars versus Diavolo, and whether or not Joseph defeated Cars. Ooh. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. Finn.